la la. So guys, we got some feedback. Real life feedback. Our first fan letter. <laughs> <laughs> Does that ba- make us famous now? Is it bad? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, share it. Go on. Okay. We pretend like so, we haven't already read it and prepared this, but go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as a reminder, uh, we have uh, an, e- an email address that we consistently forget to uh, read out, which is feedback at worstcasescenario.ie. And a listener, Alan Gill, wrote in to us, and I'll read out the email. Uh, Hi, fellas. I'm enjoying listening to your podcast and wondered if you might be able to address an issue I've been thinking about. I have some uh, development experience, mainly web development, PHP and JavaScript, but I've been thinking about developing an iOS app. It's an app for children with lots of images and interactions with those images. Could you give some advice on where the best place might be to start learning about iOS development and perhaps give a broad overview of the process? So that's from Alan. What Alan didn't mention, he's a really talented... Um, is, is he a programmer? Yes, but Alan okay. is also a really cha- uh, talented illustrator um, specializing in children's books. Uh, so oh. I'll put a li- link in the show notes to some of Alan's stuff, but it's really quirky, really cool stuff. So He, he should make um, children's iPad books. So how, how's he going to start? I'm sure that? the question is totally unrelated to that. I know, but you know, yes. <laughs> but eventually down the line, it's, he'd, make, he'd make some uh, bank on that. They, they, they sell them. <clears throat> so uh, how, 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 okay, I'll say from my experience anyway, if he's already a programmer, uh, a good book is <laughs> definitely one. Uh, a good book that you can kind of read through and start just doing examples from it. Um, learn Objective-C first. Um, and Ray, Ray, Ray Wait, Wenderlich. What? 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 Learn Objective-C. Why are you telling him to learn Objective-C? That's for old people. No. That's like telling people to start in social media media by getting a Bebo account. No, we, we you know, we've had this discussion before. There's many reasons <laughs> to be learning Objective-C first. There's many reasons. And I know you're just trying to be an arse about it now. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Swift will come eventually, you know. But as you said, there's so many resources out there already written in Objective-C. Um, a good one that you actually, a good point you made recently on Stack Overflow is you have eight or seven years worth of questions answered in Objective-C, updated in Objective-C, you know, refined, uh, improved, whereas you might get one answer that's written in Swift and, like, it's one answer compared to, you know, five or six other well-thought-out ones, you know. You have a lot more choice there. Um, Ray Wenderlich would be probably one of the top websites, I think, for learning app development, although saying that, a lot of it's in Swift now. Um, recommend Dave. any books, Dave? Um, it's a difficult a one because system. I'm like, well, personally, I'm going to make a start learning Swift in, in earnest or technically probably already have. I don't know. Can I recommend it to someone to learn until I view it as stable, which means until WWDC next year and they go, yeah, and all your code is grand, lads. Um, yeah. Which, um, you know, I've been following the Swift mailing lists and it's looking like that, you know, there's a possibility that might happen um, as long as you stay away from some of the more complicated stuff. So that, when that happens, I'd recommend starting Swift um, just in an effort to not 
uh, dishearten people who would already learn. Like, I mean, I know people who have books. They bought, they bought loads of books, didn't quite get around to it. And then we're kind of going through the book and we're like, hey, what's uh, why doesn't any of this work anymore? Um, so, you know, uh, in an effort to, to stop that, I wouldn't recommend anyone learning Swift unless they want so to potentially learn it again. So just to clarify so, what we're talking about. So Apple announced Swift a few years ago uh, as a new programming language. Um, and the, there's been a huge amount of excitement about it. And as you guys say, you guys say a lot of the online resources now are solely written in Swift. Um, but because they haven't sort of finalized the language. So in September, Swift 3.0 was released. Um, which was not compatible with the previous version of Swift. So you had to basically refactor um, your apps. And some teams are talking about like two weeks to rewrite their apps in the new version of Swift. Yeah, and even though there's some conversion facilities out there, it still requires a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of work, especially if you have a big big app, and especially if you have a lot of uh, dependencies which seems to be uh mm -hmm. seems to be a, a kind of a meme at the moment i i have an app with uh, a <laughs> 30 cocoa pods how do i uh and you, that's not even an exaggeration it was 30 cocoa pods yeah <laughs> and we saw another one with 24 cocoa pods yeah so yeah. it does happen i guess i, I think I, th I think it happens a lot now you see it, uh when we were talking to one of the guys at ul he was saying that there's so many dependencies in the app because it was a till Based system, kind of like Thomas's app, but uh, they just needed dependencies for like different plugins they have or different retailers they have or whatever. Oh, awful, awful stuff. Um, Baz, you've talked before about the um, Stephen Hegarty, I think his name is, his video lectures. Uh, he teaches a course at Stanford. Oh, yeah, yeah. Would you recommend them to Alan as a no? It's <laughs> It's tough going. It's definitely um, straight in there. Well, hmm. yeah, do you know what? They're not bad. I'd say it's one of those things, definitely try out yourself. But like, it really is kind of straight in at the deep end kind of stuff. Um, I found it quite useful at the time. Uh, one of the best things I got from it was learning what stack views were in auto layout. But um, I, th I think something a bit easier kind of going in. Um, I have a book recommendation. Yep. Um and it's actually what I used eventually after many false starts with stuff, learning materials that I wasn't happy with. And it's a company called Big Nerd Ranch. They're based mm -hmm. in the States. Um, and they are, well, they're now kind of three, they now do three things. Um, they, they now do some third party development, but primarily they're a training company. They run relatively expensive training courses. Uh, both to uh, teach people uh, iOS development and also they run some more uh, advanced courses. And the reason why I like the Big Nerd Ranch books is a few reasons. A, I really like books that take you through building a project. So it's not sort of describing things in isolation, but actually um, building, you know, <clears throat> each chapter is building a, a new bit of an app. Um, and the second thing is I really feel that they, in their book, they've really taken on lessons from their training courses. Um, so I find it 
really easy to understand. Um, the current version is Swift. It's Swift 2, actually. But um, I think the previous versions are still available um, that are based on Objective-C. And I think they're a really good uh, introduction to uh, to iOS development. Cool. Uh, going back to the Ray Wenderlich, actually, I said... Uh, I forgot they have books on the website and I've bought one of them before. Um, recently enough, I wanted to do... God, I can't even remember what I wanted, but it, there was something in the book and I said, okay, I'll just buy it. Um, they have older was versions. Was this one like, of these um, sort of iOS by tutorials ones? Yes, I really like them. They're really yeah, good. they're really good. So I'm just going through the latest one here. It's like it's... I'd, I'd recommend if you can get an older one, maybe if you can get like... Um, iOS 6 or 7, if you can do like tutorials that are more, I guess, the, the thing about the iOS 10 one at the moment is it's all about iOS 10 stuff. So, um, you know, messaging apps, so the iMessage apps, um, Siri kit, rich notifications, stuff like that. But some of his older books then will cover, you know, just lots of different things, building apps, different ways. This one is really kind of focused on some of the new features that are out at the moment. So if you could... Yeah, you could probably maybe get one of the, the older books from Ray Wenderlich and then well, kind of work they have way up the to them. iOS Apprentice one as well, which is from scratch. So you're talking about the their book that gives you the kind of the latest stuff about the Yeah, the so there's the latest one you you and, don't need. Yeah, the Apprentice one actually would, yeah. would be very, very good. Yeah. Um you can also buy the Mega Swift bundle for $440, which is wow. expensive. <laughs> but that's a whole heap of books. Um but yeah, the the Apprentice one, yeah. It's probably pretty good. And that starts with Swift uh, 3 from scratch. 3, yeah. Uh, so if you want, then there's probably older versions that you can find out there that have um, Objective-C. Um, well, we're talking about learning iOS. Are there any sort of gotchas um, or any... I guess, what are the things you wish you'd known when you were starting? You guys have often said that when you you started developing iOS apps, the you know the learning materials weren't great, um, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. What what do you what what useful advice can we pass on to Alan now in terms of some of the yeah some of the gotchas um, of iOS? Don't use storyboards. <laughs> Would be one thing. I, do, I'd say do just don't. don't. Well, but Dave has a good point. Depends. Like Depends. either do it hundred percent or do it zero yeah. percent. Don't end up in this halfway house. And I think That's especially it. if there's children's apps with stuff, I think maybe storyboards might be mm, I suppose, the yeah. exact perfect thing that's needed. If if the app is very linear progression wise, uh, one screen moves on to the next screen, moves on to the next screen. Storyboards are quite good um, for complex apps, I guess. Later on, yeah, you probably figure out why storyboards. Um, aren't such a great idea, but I guess Xcode has gotten better. You can split up storyboards now, I think, into individual storyboards. I'm not sure. But I, I'd recommend, anyway, uh, learning all layout early enough, kind of embracing that, figuring out how that works. Um, it's something we didn't have when we were learning, and it's only something recently that I've you know, started learning um, in the last year. Uh, that's fantastic. It's something I would definitely recommend. Um I, I would know. definitely say there are some bits of iOS development that are a bit opaque. Um, Apple's documentation is getting better. Um, 
And it was never bad, to be fair to Apple, but other programming languages, their standard documentation would always include uh, examples, for, um, whereas mm-hmm. um, the Cocoa documentation will occasionally provide answers, but it's not, I think, historically how they've done things. Um, also, I think Objective-C is is a weird and awesome language. Um it looks a bit scary at first with all the square brackets, um, but it's worth taking time to read other people's code. Um, and sort yeah, of square brackets make code very, very readable. I find anyway, kind of gives a little bit of a, a sentence or a structure to kind of how the code is, is flows. You know, what are you doing to a certain object, a certain property? I'd recommend not relying on CocoaPods too much. Uh, I guess when we started development, myself and Dave anyway, uh, there wasn't such a heavy dependency on frameworks and stuff like that. CocoaPods are very, very popular at the moment. Figure out, can you write the code yourself? Do you need the CocoaPod? Uh, is this something you can do yourself? Or is it, you know, is this something you're just like, you can't be arsed programming or learning? Um, it, there's a good balance, I guess don't have too many cocoa pods in your app um and yeah kind of figure out can you do it yourself would be a good one and don't throw too many fancy animations in all over the place you you kind of you go onto these you go onto a lot of github projects and they do kind of they change the way uis work how buttons look how screens show up uh don't go too overboard on all that kind of stuff i think yeah I think I've definitely gone down that route at times and went, oh, that's really cool, and thrown into the app, and then you kind of go back and go, that's a bit gammy. It's a bit too much. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think um, I think don't fight the tools. Yeah. Mm, because yeah, I think yeah. if, you're, if, you, if you are a programmer and you start learning iPhone development, there's, I think you automatically think everyone is insane. And there's this, there must be a better way to do this. And then you're like, you're Googling like how to programmatically create X, Y, Z, just do it in storyboards, just, or just do it in interface builder. You know, the, the technology moves from under you so fast that you just Mm -hmm. do it Apple's way or get lost. Yeah. Um, I think programmatic development is okay well now with auto layout just, and stuff it's not terrible you don't really need it as much no and it's good for like the last few bits of tweaking if you want to kind of go in and tweak little bits um but especially when you're handing off projects to other people if you if that is in uh, alan's future that try, trying to read how someone designed a button on the screen you know it's six lines seven lines of code maybe up to ten lines of code depending on how fancy the button is uh, it's just a bit of a nightmare sometimes trying to read all that stuff. Whereas in Interface Builder, you can kind of see happily, okay, this is where this button is laid out. This is the action that's hooked up to this button. When I tap on it, it does this. Um, it calls a method. Um, so yeah, I guess Dave's, yeah, go with Dave's solution there. Or uh, yeah, don't fight the tools. The final um, sle- suggestion I think I'd give is don't give up. Um yes. I think there's a bit of a learning curve um, with iOS development, with Xcode. Um, And I think the reason why there's a learning curve is that once you get the hang of it, you can be so amazingly productive. Like there's a reason why it's not so beginner friendly. And I just, 
encourage people to stick at it a bit. Um, it's it's tough getting your first app working, you know, it really is. Uh, um, but once you do, I think very quickly, you'll find you'll start to get really productive and it'll be a really sort of liberating, exciting thing. And it's one of the reasons why we enjoy doing what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it's, it's, it's quick prototyping as well, you know, at times. Just you can make something, as we were talking about, make something look good quickly. It doesn't, it, it hasn't have to be a fully functional app, but it might get the idea across if you want to show it off to people or just have a demo app running. It's, uh, it's, it's really nice for that kind of stuff. I can't think of, like, one of the things I think we maybe take for granted is like a simple app based on table views, um, maybe a tab bar, um, some sub views, like it's relatively easy to build an app like equal to what Apple themselves might come out with. Like if you think of some of the apps that ship with iOS, like, uh, I don't know, the podcast app, mm-hmm. the podcast app that's built in the iPhone, like I reckon most people with a bit of experience could build something eh, pretty much as good uh, in a few weeks. Because it relies so much on the sort of inbuilt frameworks that that ship with iOS, would you agree? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we'll find out when you put it up on GitHub in about four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you don't realize sometimes a lot of iOS apps they're just table views or list views or whatever you want to call them. Um, you, you just are presenting data in a list and people are clicking on it and it brings them to another page you know it's it's 90% of apps <laughs> if you can figure out table views uh if you, yeah if you re, if you once you once you figure out how table views work you kind of get iOS programming it covers you know delegates are a big thing yeah uh, i was going to say like yeah what, d- they're a it, tricky thing to get your head around i guess initially um yeah but i think if, if you're coming huge. from uh, web development or something like it's just callbacks like so it's not you know, especially JavaScript callback hell. So delegates are a nice, sane alternative for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, figure out table views and you'll be grand. <laughs> exactly. So are we going to put together each one of our, our learning paths, go do this X, Y, and Z to sum up what we've, what we've said? So I'm going to, con- yeah, okay, uh, I'm going to contradict one, myself. Yeah. And yep. say, uh, but first of all, you need a Mac. I don't know. Do we mention that bit? Um, right. Yes. And uh, get the Rewender like iOS Apprentice course. Yeah. And just after looking at it, and it looks like it fit in nicely with what was, um, uh, you know, the requirements for for learning to make iPhone apps. I was saying, don't learn Swift because it's not stable. But then, if you go learn Objective C, eventually you're going to have to learn Swift anyway. So. I suppose it's probably less effort to learn it in the first place. So that would be my thing. Get the get the rear render like iOS Apprentice book and go Swift. I, I, I get I get yeah, I guess you you can get away probably with learning Swift if you are developing for yourself, if it's something you're doing on your own, if you're not looking for um a job out of it, Swift is probably a good route. But like that's the thing. If you go into a company, you might be taking over a legacy project that's completely written in Objective-C. Um, so if you are kind of looking at it as a career part, it's 
it's good to have objective C definitely. I think if you're looking at it as a career path, you need both now, and in and you need yes, about ten years definitely. worth of experience. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so much stuff online, but you can't go wrong with the Ray Wenderlich to start off. Um, you might find other resources and stuff. Um, and as any developer knows, you'll end up in Stack Overflow quite a bit. There's there's going to be times when iOS programming Xcode catches you out. Hopefully, it'll be in the later stages. You know, when you kind of go to put apps on your iPhone or put apps up in the App Store. That stuff can get a bit trickier, and but don't worry about it till much later on. Um, <laughs> then you can kind of ask again, how do you put an app on the App Store? That can be nightmare times. Taurus case scenario guide to dealing with rejection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, try not to cry. Cry. <laughs> uh, don't su- don't submit on a Friday. <laughs> don't submit on a Friday. Yeah, that's a yeah. That's when we can go into another time, I guess. The woes of dealing with the App Store. Although it's much, much better these days. Don't let me scare you off. Dealing with the App Store is a lot better these days, especially since Xcode 8 came out. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. This annoys me. I'm looking at Big Nerd Ranch, which is definitely my favorite sort of resource. And their book, iOS Programming, which is now in their fifth edition. But it's it's based on Swift. It's Swift 2. Makes me sad. Yeah, Alan, I'm sorry, but ignore all we said. You're going to have to learn Swift. Don't learn Swift 2. At least learn Swift 3. I know. Right? <laughs> I, st- I, oh, I don't know what we're doing here. Feels like we're all moving too fast. We slow down a bit. Slow down. Move too fast. <laughs> Gotta make your iOS development last. Um, and are we going to recommend any cross-platform solutions or anything like that I'm going to throw one out um, with the caveat Thomas you can just cut this part off yeah (laughs) Um, with with the caveat that I think it's if you're already a web developer it might be worth just checking it out Um, so NativeScript which is Basically, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript packaged into an app. It looks decent enough. I've played around with it a bit, and um, I'd say I'd say have a look at it. It's not as good as either one. You know, if you're, it's not as good as learning proper iOS development. It's not as good as learning proper Android development. Um, but you know, if you just want to get something out there, it might be a quick way to to kind of harness the knowledge that you already know. There's also React Native, is it? which is another JavaScript thing. So if you've used React on uh, the web, it might be worth looking at. So I suppose there's mm-hmm. different ways of doing things. There's also all of the, the horrible phone gap Cordova things and stuff like that, but where you can, it's just basically a, a web, a web page wrapped well. in an app. Um, if you're coming at it from, from the website of things, there's, there's a lot of options, but we don't like those here. <laughs> it's one of those things, I guess, if you're, if you're, you know, not not looking to invest fifteen hundred plus into a Mac. Uh, maybe you can get a quick app running up on the phone, and maybe go well, decide. You can't submit it without Mac. I don't think any of these cross-platform well, solutions, like ultimately Xcode, has to be in the mix. Well, that's no. that's true, but I guess just for even kind of let's see what this whole iOS development stuff is like. You know, getting in and putting an app on the phone, and then maybe it'll pique your interest enough to go out and spend a mm. ton of cash on a Mac. 
or ask a friend to upload the app for you. <laughs> so we've just made someone a, a millionaire there with that device. Oh, definitely. Naps are a millionaire. Yep. No, yeah. I think we've made someone run away screaming, going... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that entire segment uh, is dedicated to preserving the salaries of iOS developers across the nation. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard, guys. Yeah. Yeah, no way you'll try. ever get it. No. <laughs> Learn this new language. No, don't. <laughs> you don't get paid twice as much for knowing the two of them, though. That's the only downside. Definitely. Yeah. Just be good at one of them. Yeah. <laughs> this annoys... Uh, I feel like I have a rant in me about Swift, and I don't know if now, now's the time to make it. Yeah, good time. Go on, sure. Why not? I... I mean, the discussion we've had about just now about sort of learning materials and how everything has moved on to Swift. Um, and it seems like so many companies are now um, developing all their new things in Swift. And I just feel a bit sad. I feel a bit sad, not out of nostalgia reasons. I feel a bit sad because it feels like our community of app developers is moving on to this new shiny thing and swift is awesome you know i i I do i do like certain aspects of the language um but it just feels so silly to throw out decades of expertise uh in objective c decades of sort of quite powerful design patterns um I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm surprised at how quickly the industry is moving towards Swift. And I don't think it's a good thing. It's fair enough. I, I think Swift is awesome, but I think we should all be taking up Swift in kind of three years time when. Yeah, I definitely think a lot of people who jumped on it were, were bitten this soon. Like, yeah. So I think, you know, I think if you're, I don't know if I was the CTO of any place. And if it was a one-off app, off you go with Swift. If it's something that you need to maintain for the rest of your foreseeable career, don't touch it. Um, basically, I would say wait until wait until the changes, the the breaking changes die down, or until you can have multiple versions of the language in the same project. <laughs> yeah, so the things I'd be looking for is um, for the source breaking changes to stop in Swift, which. We might get by Swift 4. Um, evidence that somewhere approaching half of the APIs were written in Swift in a Swift sort of way. I know they've changed the names of the APIs for Swift now, but they're they're clearly Objective-C type um, APIs, which is why you get so many optionals in your code. Um I think, because uh, most of the built-in APIs are quite happy to return nil to you because that's sort of the foundational basis of Objective-C and Cocoa. So that's my one experience of writing Swift these days is that I just feel I'm kind of, I'm writing Objective-C anyway. I'm just kind of adding all these wrappers on on top of it. I don't know. Mm. Makes me sad. Yeah. And in a few years, then you'll be working with someone and you'll be like, oh, just use Objective-C. And they're like, what's that? What? <laughs> what do you mean it can be nil? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it blow up? That's it. 
And you just go cry, cry in the corner quietly. I do understand why Apple are, are pushing Swift so hard. Like, for me, I think one of the things is just down to security. I think, like, this kind of evaluate everything at runtime model um, that we're used to in iOS development, like, ultimately, surely there has to be a big security hole. Um, and a sort of a, a nagging compiler getting you to sort of check for nil objects and stuff like that. And that makes sense in the long run. I, I, I just... It feels like at the moment we're sort of, I don't know, it's like speaking French, but with an Irish accent or something. It's like kind of, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. We'll keep an eye on it anyway. We'll keep, keep an eye on it. That's it. <laughs> Saying at least all the other stuff, you know, interface builder, all that stuff, it's the same across. So we're not completely you know, having to change every uh, the way we do everything. Except I think that has to change at some time too. Like this concept of, oh, this is, you know, the class of this um, view is is encoded in this string that you typed into Interface Builder. And do you know like when things blow up because you didn't connect your outlets properly or yeah. Um, you typed in the class name wrong. Like it's a runtime crash, and often you don't get a very helpful error message at all because it's it's just trying to evaluate it at runtime. That's the stuff that I think. Like, if iOS became proper Swift, then stuff like that would need to be rewritten because this is this is the old way, and I think it's the awesome way. But if we want to do things a different way, then we need to rethink stuff like that as well. Maybe when they come out with their new um, middle tier OS. The one that, you know, makes iPads into uh, a better machine. Maybe they'll change stuff up then. <laughs> That's next year then, yeah. So we could all easily sidestep this and just download the new Visual Studio for Mac. <laughs> I can't believe it's not Visual Studio. How many products does Microsoft have with the word Visual Studio in the name? Uh, three, I think. So, so there's the main Visual Studio, Dave, which you use in your teaching, right? Yeah. Um, so, and I've heard people say sort of really positive things about it. Would you would you, would you echo those? Oh yeah, it's class. Um, it's just really nice, really solid. Um, and what's uh, the code completion tool? Is it IntelliSense or something? I think that's what they call it. It's brilliant, anyway. Um, so I'd, I'd, to be honest, I have less issues with it than Xcode, but I'd, prob- right. I'd probably be doing more complicated stuff in Xcode, which might, um, which might bring up more more issues. And um, but yeah, Visual Studio is the main one, and that's Windows only. So 2015 is the current one, and I think they're previewing 2017 at the moment. And it's they recently made it free, so I think over the summer. Um, oh wow. Uh, hell did in fact truly freeze over and basically you visual studio community edition which is essentially the full version that's free for individual use or for you know corporations with less than five programmers and you know there's a laundry list of um exceptions to it but basically they made it free for for pretty much everyone who who would be um who wouldn't have been in a position to to buy it what languages Why? does it support? Um, is it just C sharp? No, no. So I would use it for C and C plus plus mainly. Um, 
on the Mac version as well? No, no. You can um, use it. So I, I only oh, use we're getting to that now. Relax now, Ben. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my own experience with it so far is on uh, Windows, and it's basically C, C++, native, and then you've all of the .NET languages as well. Right. And JavaScript and all them sort of things on top of it. You can integrate plugins for Visual Studio to make them hand, to make it handle any new languages. There's ones for Python. There's ones for other um, other parts of Microsoft have released ones for uh, other languages, um, maybe R and stuff like that, so that you can integrate them into Visual Studio. So it's um, very extensible and you're not tied down to just the Microsoft languages. But obviously, you know, debuggers and stuff like that, you're, you're, you're kind of moving outside of their, their stuff with that, but you can use it for pretty much whatever you want. Then there's the craft platform visualstudio.net, which is pretty much just a text editor. Um, with syntax highlighting. Have you have you this installed on your Mac, Dave, this Visual Studio Code or whatever they call it? I do, it? yeah. The, and would it be, like, if, if you had to edit something like Python or HTML, like, would it be the editor you'd reach for? I'm still kind of just out of habit. I use Sublime, but okay, I, there's nothing that Visual Studio Code doesn't offer me. That, that I'd need. It's just literally a habit. And I'm subcon- subconsciously, I hate the fact that it's like a Node.js app in a mm. wrapper or something like that. <laughs> um, I'm going to probably Google it and find out that Sublime is as well now and it'll like blow my hmm. mind. Um, but uh, yeah, basically they're the two things. And one is uh, CrossFap platform, as I said, it's, it's just it's JavaScript. And then the new one is a rebranding and the next version simultaneously of Xamarin Studio, which is now Visual Studio for Mac. So I'm not 100% sure what happened to Xamarin Studio for Windows. And at this stage, I don't want to ask, but I'm pretty sure that it's going to be rolled into a Visual Studio for not Mac. So Visual Studio on Mac then basically gives you uh, the .NET languages. And that's it. I have to say, like, it's nice that, I mean, Xamarin or Mono or whatever it was called in the beginning, it's been going a long time, bought by Microsoft. They do seem to be serious about taking it forward. Um, I've never written a line of C Sharp in my life, but anybody I talk to have has says that it's a really nice language, a really nice modern language to... Uh, developing so i don't know so i'm i'm glad to see them still going forward yeah definitely i think it's it's good to have options because you can do ios apps and native mac apps in in c sharp now on on ios and android and whatever else you want so it does it does make sense if there's a lot of code reuse. And especially for Mac apps, I think that's a good example of maybe a slightly more niche um, sort of option. Like it's nice that there's an option in between like sort of pure web apps wrapped using Electron and something that's a little more native. Yeah. And something that actually looks fairly decent as well when it comes out the other end. You know, in terms of uh, putting together a reasonably native-looking app, 
as in in comparison to some of the more web frameworks where you know it just looks like a web page or where everyone seems to redefine the UI completely <laughs> I think like if I was going for some if I had to do some um desktop app development I'd definitely go for Xamarin now not specifically Mac development, not specifically Windows development, but just if there was a a desktop app that needed to be done, I think I'd use that in a heartbeat. Hmm. So this one wasn't on the list, but um, Britain's passed the most extreme surveillance law ever passed in a democracy. Christ, yeah. We see that one this week. So uh, Law Forces UK. Surprised they were allowed to report about it. Yeah. Uh, forces UK internet providers to store browsing histories, including domains visited for one year, obviously including domains visited who wrote this article, um, in case of police investigations. So oh, what yeah. are they? They're saving a lot of data about you? Um, browsing history, yeah. That's enough. Browsing history for a year, yeah. Christ. <laughs> and this was introduced uh, and- by the then Home Secretary, Theresa May. Who is now the Prime Minister. And there doesn't seem to any... Like, what's what's the reaction back over there? Like, is it, there's no protests or anything about it. Uh, they've tried to pass similar things here, haven't they, before? Was it the CISPA? Uh, yeah, there's, the, they, they, they bring it up every time and they change the name and they go back and they try it again. Right, yeah. Mm. Record customers' top-level web history in real time for up to a year, which can be accessed by numerous government departments and can force companies to decrypt data on demand. Companies to decrypt data on demand. But like, is that a case again of um, when, like data has been stored in Ireland, okay, I guess, Facebook, Microsoft, uh, tons of companies. Trust grand, we'll give it to you for a few points. Ah, oh, but they haven't before. They've defended it before, right? Microsoft's went to court yeah. over it and they wouldn't give up the data. They were like, no, we don't need to give up the data, which is great as users. But like, is that a case now where someone on Facebook said something hurtful about someone else in England? You know, they're pretty extreme about that. Um, going to go over to Twitter in Ireland and be like, OK, yeah, decrypt that, decrypt that for us or send us on their information there. It's going to be tons more of that now. Are Ireland going to... Be in the, in the middle of it then, or are we all just being paranoid? It's only a problem if you have something to hide, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 it. You know, I yeah. I think the recent political development, certainly in the US, has sort of I think it's caused a few a few people to sit up and take notice that like the problem with all this data collection, it's fine when you have a relatively benevolent regulatory environment, but when you don't, um, and when somebody talks about, you know, deporting all immigrants, that suddenly this data that's being collected on you becomes a liability. As you pointed out, like companies such as Microsoft and Google and others have been sort of trying to fight back against overreach of government um, in the access of our, our data, especially across borders. Um, 
But ultimately, the fact that they have this data and this metadata in the first place means that we're all pretty vulnerable, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And if the if the internet teaches us anything, it's that they will apply some kind of deep learning algorithm to it. The deep learning algorithm will become incredibly racist, and, <laughs> and it, 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 it seems to happen over and over again. And then pretty much you have some computer system with um, prejudices that have evolved into it, making the decisions and trying to pick people out, which is uh, terrifying. It was like that Microsoft Japanese girl, wasn't it? Yeah. I got started talking about Hitler within a day. Yeah, pretty much. And even any of the ones that they do, like if they make a neural net for um, what's, you know, for testing beauty or something, and then they trained it on all, like, you know, white models, you know, that, yeah, right, yeah. Then, you know that, that sort of stuff. So whatever they use to actually train it is what it will bias, is, is going to bias it. Um, so yeah, I think we should just stick to like painting the Mona Lisa with circles and like, (laughs) oh, that's cool. What was that? (laughs) Genetic, genetic algorithms. Yeah. Just, yeah. And stay, stay away from the, you know, the mass data collection. Just make nice little toys. Like, you know, with, with all the the magical power of, of computing. (laughs) That's the real scary thing now. You know, it's not so much that they just have the data. It's that they have this completely powerful, yet inherently biased method of doing something with it. And I was even reading about it. It was about the the uh, Hillary Clinton emails. And where someone said that, you know, there was X thousand released. It took them X amount of time to do discovery or to, to review um, these particular emails. And yeah. then it um, did something like they reviewed the next, they reviewed two times as many in, you know, a fraction of the time. And everyone was like, how did you read that many emails? And someone in a thread somewhere uh, said that they were, um, worked in the legal profession and it's not done by humans it's done by computers and keywords and that they can upload a data dump and come back Monday morning and have a report on it yeah because uh, they were even saying like I don't know a good percentage of the emails had already been checked in previous cases so yeah. they immediately immediately could say okay we don't even need to check these because the hash of those matches the hashes of the new ones yeah. or whatever the ones we're checking against so. but how does the computer know what they're looking for like you have keywords sure but you know, people could have an entire conversation without ever mentioning that thing that they know what that they're talking about, you know, or they could spell the word wrong. Like, I mean, you know, just having the yeah. review stuff, like it's fine if you're just doing keyword searches, but you can't believe that that's actually thorough in any way. Maybe it knows people well enough to realize what code words they'll come up with, you know. Cup of tea could mean nuclear bombs or something. Could do. I just Can don't do. think it's thorough enough. Um, no, and that we we sure. can solve. It was all going to be rushed. It was yeah, going to all be rushed through, wasn't it? Yeah. What I what I think we can do is, so there's an increasing. Um, so this is my dystopian prediction. There's going to be increasing job loss due to automation. But the one thing that we can't automate yet is all of the neural network stuff, 
So I think literally people will be assigned jobs as like a perceptron in a neural network. And their job all day will be to like pick which one of these looks more like the Mona Lisa. And they'll just sit in the cubicle going left, left, right, left, right, like on Tinder or something. And, you know, it could be. Jesus is fairly depressing. (laughs) It could be a horrible future. And I love the way that Thomas (laughs) sent some links earlier. And I was like, no, man, that's too heavy. We leave. Can we we not get heavy tonight, please? (laughs) Come here. I remember the thing um, that I was reminded of, Dave, when you were talking about. Painting the Mona Lisa at his circles. Yep. This was released. Um, I sent you guys the link. Um, it's an app called Primitive. Uh, the logo the looks Mac. like something from the 80s. Yeah, it's cool. It's, um, but it's just some guy's random side project. Like it's not a necessarily a, a massive money making thing, but you give it a photo and it tries to recreate it using um, like a, a series of shapes. Like vector-based geometric primitives. It looks cool. It does indeed, yeah. Just a nice animated gif there of it constructing a flower. Yeah, it's well cool. Anyway, I think it's this guy's sort of random side project. Um, it's open source, um, or uh, so you can pilot yourself, or it's a tenor in the Mac App Store. Well cool. Oh, and it does... Um it does kind of live versions of it where it does like maybe two photos and switches between them. Two or three different yeah. photos to make a, a GIF. It's all very pretty. And you can actually save the output as an F- SVG. Like it's fully vector oh, wow. output. Well, cool. There's one with 900 shapes. I think my computer would probably cry <laughs> trying to open that. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Anyway, so it's hopefully that has one. cheered you up a bit. Yeah, definitely. So I suppose from uh, mass surveillance to mass hacking, um, we had a series of tweets this week uh, from Rob Graham. So he's at uh, Errata Rob on Twitter, and he bought a surveillance camera, hooked it up using the Raspberry Pi as a proxy, and saw that it was essentially compromised by the botnet. Um, he says within the Mirai or however you pronounce it, um, botnet within five minutes. And then essentially when he looked back at the lab, the logs, he saw it only took 98 seconds for the first infection by something different, which is ridiculous. So he bought a security camera on Amazon. He he bought it with the intention of exposing it or, or was it just he was paranoid before setting it up? I think he was paranoid. He intended using it. Oh, okay. Because this is the thing. This isn't like a single example of a really badly designed Internet of Things product. This is mm-hmm. the norm. Yeah. And looking through, like, I was I was full sure there was going to be some, you know, um, a dense shell script that had been encoded in ASCII values that was being inserted into a buffer overflow. Or, you know, I thought there was going to be some ridiculously... Um, I just I just had higher hopes. No, they just log on using the default password, which was never changed. They then get a Linux shell, and then they literally type wget or tftp to download the binary, and then they run it. And that's it. Wow. Like, it's not even... Like, it's not even... 
you can't even label that as hacking or you know that's literally just I know someone's password the end there's nothing smart about it it's just everything dumb about it I forgot about the my dog so you guys um, there's a website called Shodan Shodan oh yes yeah and there, so I, I kind of looked around to see what was around, what was open and exposed. So there, somebody in our hometown in Limerick um, has their um, security cameras um, exposed. I, I should have it bookmarked somewhere. Anyway, there's this um, domestic house in Limerick um, and that they're... The security camera was open to the internet and I used to have it in a corner of my screen for like months and months because there's this poor dog that was just really kind of bored alone um, in the garden every day. Um, So I just used to sort of keep an eye on the dog, make sure it wasn't, uh, you know, getting too bored or anything. So, yeah, I forgot about that. wonder what that that dog's at now. (laughs) We'll put an update in the show notes if we find the dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I think so, like in software well, developers. What, what would you recommend as? Sorry, are you going to go on something? What would you recommend as a consumer? Like, should you just go with the most expensive? Like, like should you just go with a product like Nest or something like that, or just do more research on which ones won't be compromised, or are all of them possibly compromisable? I think it potentially everything is, which is the problem. But some right. are definitely more compromisable than than others. Than these, others, yeah. These aren't even comp like these are just open. These are just pretty much just say, mm-hmm. "Hey, I'm on a network. Do whatever you want." Like, um, you know, uh, it's it's ridiculous. So yeah, I'd go with something where at least if you've Nest or Google, the backlash would be sufficient that they could even fix it because no one's going to issue a firmware update for this these pieces of crap like. You have no, it. Definitely. It's on your. It's on your network. Um, it's hacked. It's been used to take down. You're now implicated technically in uh, cyber crime. <laughs> um, oh God! Because it's it's been used to DDoS. It took down these cameras. Took down the internet in the west coast of America a few weeks yeah. ago. Um, do you know, my Netflix was very slow, and I was very unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, Baz, is a good question. I think certain markets that the race to the bottom is so comprehensive that you can end up with no good products at all. And I think security cameras are one of them. I guess I know this because I run a business that um, where I put in uh, iPad-based cash register systems. And often I, I'm there to install the hardware around about the same time as the security camera guys are in. And they all use cheap, no-name um, security cameras um, connected to a no-name DVR. And there's a sort of a really bad app to control it. Um, and you have to kind of sort of open ports on your router and do a, um, a done-out DNS thing to... Um, to reach it from outside but from all the ones i've seen i've been in places where they spent a lot on their security system i've been in places where they obviously hadn't 
Um, but it all seems based on sort of commodity, no name hardware. There seems to be very little sort of gold standards in this business at all. Mm. Mm, not good. I guess this is where, like, it's an, uh, an argument for HomeKit, back to Apple stuff. Um, I'm not sure if there's a HomeKit camera yet. There's been talk about it this year. Um, but the API doesn't support the camera directly. I mean, you could have a start recording, a stop recording or something like that, but there's no, you know, essential mechanism for, for viewing a camera as part of the HomeKit APIs. Baz, you, you have a... Or am I wrong? No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I, th- I think it doesn't um, support it. But Baz, what about Nest? Didn't you have... Uh, were you um, playing around we with ha- a, a Nest drop cam at work? Yeah, we have one set up and work at the moment. Um, What's the app like? Uh, the app is... Yeah, it's very, very good. Um, the odd time it wouldn't work on... I guess I guess it was actually on one of the work networks it wouldn't work, but I guess something was just blocking it in there internally. Um, but it was kind of cool. I, can it, I ask a stupid question? Where does yeah. the video get stored? Uh, the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> there, you you get like a free account, I think, and they do save one online for you for like. Okay, so they save your video or at least some of it. They they save it for like a week, and I think if you upgrade, you get a month or something like that. But uh, they. Okay do allow you to go in and view it and edit it and save it as a .mov file. Um, so and you can kind of select well. a portion of Yeah, like um, it used to it used to have the security guards going around work. So when the security guards would come up to um, uh, my building, my office, and they'd walk past the desks, I'd wake up in the morning and be like, oh, the camera turned on at 4 a.m. in the morning or whatever it was. And then it would just see the, the security guys walking past, you know, checking around the place and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Um, we have it set up at the moment. Um, I think everyone in the office is on it. I ended up, I think, turning it off. There was, it was a bit, a bit sensitive, I think, at times. Um, whatever way it was set up at the moment. So I must go back in and see. It's just kind of, I would, yeah, I would probably, if and when I buy a house, I might end up getting one. I just mentioned sort of both HomeKit and Nest because at least, as Dave says, this is actually something where you probably don't want the cheap no-name hardware. You want something that, yes. as you said, Dave, you can use somebody to moan at or at least it's a bigger target to hit. I, I think as well as Dave said, you know, not getting firmware updates and stuff like that. I know these guys are never going to get firmware updates forever. My TV my smart TV is just turning off Skype now. It's constantly turning off apps, you know. Uh, these things won't last forever, but you, you'll probably get a longer lifetime out of, uh, I guess, a more uh, a more pricier piece of hardware or a big name brand. Negative happy. I've got an uh, embarrassing one. Go on. Do you need to turn the video camera on? No. <laughs> Let me be here in my shame in the dark. So the thing that's making me happy this week is Pitch Perfect. (laughs) I was thinking that in my head, but I didn't think you were actually going to say it. That's a a, a competition one, right? With uh, 
What's her face? You can't just say it's a competition one. It makes it sound like X Factor. Well, it's clearly something on a completely higher plane. I don't know. Is it on? T- it's not even on TV in this movie, is it? What? It's like a no, college thing, is it? It's, yeah, it's college kids singing a cappella. It's Aka awesome. <laughs> oh, flip. Oh, what's your opinion on the sequels? <laughs> Dave, say that again. <laughs> what's your opinion on the sequel? <laughs> uh, controversial topic. Mm. Um, although your one from Borgen is in it, one of my favorite TV shows. So that's kind of cool. Here's the thing. I think all these uh, online music music services like Spotify and Apple Music, you know, when you're browsing the web and you want to search for something that you just, you know, like we were talking earlier and all our activity is getting tracked and you want to kind of listen to something that doesn't necessarily uh, influence the metadata that is being connected on you. So... In the same way as I do think, like, I really wish Apple Music had a private mode. Because I want to listen to the Pitch Perfect soundtrack. But I don't necessarily want to have that sort of, to be shown other things like it. Spotify has it. (laughs) Does it? Spotify does have a, uh, oh, what would you call it? I can't remember what. There's a... There's a a kind of, like, button of shame or something. Tacky awful music mode. Ignore this, I'm drunk. <laughs> shame mode no it's can't remember the name anyway yeah there is a, there is a mode in yeah private browsing Spotify. or something like that private something playback like I think yeah guilty like a guilty pleasures button you yeah know? you don't want people to know your guilty pleasures you can also just unlink your Facebook account and have no friends yeah yeah <laughs> I think that might have already happened. Anyway, Pitch Perfect, people, my guilty uh, pleasure for this week. Mm-hmm. I have no shame. Ha. Uh, I'll go ahead with my one anyway. Um, I got the new PS4 Pro. Oh. Um, so, I don't know. It's always one of those things. I just love playing games. And, you know, you have kind of periods of on and off of gaming and kind of in a my renaissance at the moment of playing different games you know i'm playing a lot more uh probably not always a good thing but it's just kind of I briefly talk about it i i got the tomb raider game and i've been waiting until i got the ps4 pro because what it does is it has different modes for each game or any game going forward will have different modes so in this tomb raider one there's three different modes so there's prettier graphics because it's got a better GPU in it. It can do, you know, more particle effects, better hair, better animation, better textures. I'm so, sorry, Tomb Raider, better hair. Is this not the pitch perfect of video games? Well, no, it's like, you know, games going forward, more convincing, like, you know, skin. They have like, you know. No, uh, I'm talking you for playing Tomb Raider, though. Is that not for like. Go on. Is that a proper game? That is a but savage game. It is, is it? a fantastic game. Go, just, I, you can you can look at the reviews later. But like, it's a good action exploration puzzle shooting game. Boys who like looking at breasts. That I guess they've they've moved on from the nineties now, Thomas. Unlike okay. you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 a lot more. You know, it's 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 it, it, she's a very female strong character. She doesn't have overly large breasts or anything like that. 
Uh, so it's 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 more about her journey and stuff like that and all this kind of crap. But it's a really good game. But anyway, in it they have they have. You're playing pre- it for the story, is that what you're? <laughs> oh, it's not not playing oh. for the story, definitely not. It's just really fun game. But anyway, besides that, pretty mode in it, and they have a 4K mode. So the whole thing about the PS4 Pro is that it will render games in 4K, not natively 4K. It does this thing called checkerboarding and then upscales. But then on a 1080p, it. I guess does the 4K and then down samples back to 1080. So you do see a better picture overall. I think that's kind of better than the prettier one in Tomb Raider anyway. So there's less aliasing. Um, it just looks really, really good. Uh, but the one I've been using then is just a higher frame rate. So we can talk about frame rates another day, but frame rates in games are kind of... If it runs at 60, it looks better than it runs at 30 frames a second. So a lot of the games that are going to be on the PS4 Pro will be able to run at 60 frames a second, which I think is more fun in games. A lot of games are about, okay, we run at 30 frames a second and we make it look good. Whereas now I can have a game that looks good and runs well. I'm kind of happy that I did get the upgrade to the PS4 Pro. Um, I don't know, Dave, if you're still thinking about getting it, but um, as as an older gamer anyway, someone that's kind of into this kind of stuff, I would recommend getting the PS4 Pro. If you're buying it for your kids, you don't care, get the PS4 Slim or the original version. Mm. If they're, yeah, you know. It's a nice machine, but one, one, one complaint about it, though, is it has a really, really good Wi-Fi card in it, a brand new one, but uses the same firmware as the other PS4, so download speeds are terrible. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. But you were you threw up said your router, so you were Doesn't matter. It's the I I could send you on um an explanation about it. Some guy did uh he kind of went in and kind of saw what it's doing when it's connecting to the internet. Like it's time frame that it's waiting for packets to come in is all kind of messed up and uh he has solutions how to make it better. It doesn't matter if you are plugged into the uh straight into your uh router at all. So no but is there Ethernet on this yoke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm plugged straight into it, but it's the firmware is lousy. Yeah. Hmm. Dave, you happy? I am. <laughs> so, um, I suppose more of an abstract notion that's making me happy this week. Um, not really. Um, but uh, there just seems to be a huge amount of articles that are coming out about like. I just seem to have noticed them in the last few weeks is about, oh, so you think you know C? Um, and they're all like these articles with lists of gotchas about C programming. Or there's small little articles about writing um, little compilers in Swift. There's articles about writing your own little kernel in assembly in C and stuff like that. So I, I just seem, um, I found another one today, writing a sh- your own shell in C. Um, and I just think that it's nice that there's this kind of proliferation of accessible articles on these topics. Um, especially for myself when, you know, you've some, a student come and ask you for something that's, you know, they want to move on to the next level of something, but at the same time it has to be, you know, you don't want to be recommending them a hundred euro textbook. It's great to have these, these articles out there and, um, you know, they seem to be, seem to be great they all seem to center around the topic of undefined behavior however but other than that they're all great <laughs> brilliant and look at you dave a lecturer who keeps on learning you know keeps on wanting to be better that's it yeah 
la la